Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that we can praise your name, that we can bring all glory and honor to you. Lord, I just pray that this morning now as we've worshipped you through song, that as we sit and study your word, that we would still be worshipping, that we would still be giving all that we have to you in your name. Amen. You can be seated. If you're new to the church, my name is Ryan Mayer. I'm the youth slash associate pastor here. So for the next two weeks, I'm going to be preaching. And one of the beauties of getting to preach is I get to stand up here and talk about something for about half an hour, 40 minutes, and you all pretty much have to listen. I mean, you can get up and walk out, but it is what it is. But what I've seen over the years and the number of years that I've preached and done different things, when I go to preach... And I know Pastor Sean's the same way. You guys hear about half an hour to 40 minutes of probably anywhere from 10 to 16 hours of prep for a sermon. So to get it all shrunk down in there is sometimes difficult, sometimes a little bit easier. What I've seen over the years more and more is when we preach, especially when I preach, I feel like I'm speaking to myself more than I am everybody else because I've spent so much time studying it, so much time preparing it. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage. We're going to look, if you want to turn to Genesis 11, and we're going to be looking at pride. And the reason I chose pride is because I'm going to level with you. I am a very proud person. I struggle with it. And so the hope today is through this sermon, you're going to hear a number of examples of my own life and what I struggle with. And you're probably going to walk away from this sermon saying, man, it's got to be exhausting being inside of his head because you're going to hear all the things that go through my mind that I have to work through. But the hope is you don't walk out of here saying, wow, this guy teaches our youth group. We let this guy preach. He really shouldn't be up there. The hope is that you leave saying, man, this guy doesn't have it figured out either. This guy struggles, and it's okay to struggle. It's okay to work through things. So I hope you leave here not necessarily judging me. I guess if you do, then you can judge me. But my hope is that we look at pride and we look at how it can affect our lives and how we make our decisions. So if you have your Bible, it's going to be Genesis 11. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 9. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the, it'll be up on the screen for you as well. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bit them for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, They are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off the building in the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth." I think sometimes when I preach and when I teach and when I study the Bible, 
we kind of look at the Bible as two separate things. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament seems to be a lot more applicable times to us because Paul and Peter and James and all of them are writing specifically, this is how you should live. This is what you should do. But I think when we look at the Old Testament, some of the stories we can learn a whole lot for or a whole lot from. And what I'm realizing is there are some crazy things in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. There's things that if you've grown up in the church, you just believe them. I'll say all the time, we believe a man was swallowed by a giant fish and spent three days and then was spit out and didn't die. We believe three men went into a fiery furnace and were not burned alive. We believe a guy took a chariot of fire to heaven and didn't die. And I think sometimes because we just believe them, because we just grow up in them, we actually don't sit and think about how incredible God really is and how incredible Scripture is. And I think this morning, this is one of those stories. We just sit there and we say, yeah, everybody spoke the same language and they tried to do something wrong and so God just dispersed them and that was the end of it. It's incredible to think about. Have you ever tried to think about how this actually worked? I don't know how it worked. Did people just all of a sudden, they were speaking a different language so they couldn't talk to each other so they dropped tools and then just started walking away? How did they end up all over the world? Did God just, a certain language, he picked those people, they disappeared, and then they, and they showed up in another spot? Think about how confusing that would be. Not just you don't speak the same language, now you're someplace you weren't actually to begin with. But I think what we can see in this story is we're going to see pride well up in these people. And before we get into what their pride is, I want to kind of look a little bit at the backstory of what's happening. So Noah has gotten off the ark. It was him, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters-in-law. They get off the ark, and God tells them to what? Tells them to be fruitful, multiply, disperse, take over the earth. And what we see is we see the family travel. It's actually a very short distance that they travel, and they just stop and set up camp. Like, oh, this looks like a good spot. So right off the bat, they're not even listening to what God told them to do. God said, spread out, go, disperse. And they get to a certain spot and they're like, well, it's good. Let's all stay together. We're a family. And, and as a, a father, I could understand that. As Noah, I could understand. I want my family around me, so I don't want them to start spreading out. I don't want them to do that. But right off the bat, they start not even by listening to God. And in verse 4, we see what the real heart of the people is. It says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we dis be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. There's four key statements that they say in there. One is that they're going to aim to build a city. Second one is that they're going to aim to build a tower in that city that's going to reach the heavens. Third one is that they're going to aim to make a name for themselves. And the fourth one is, they're going to aim to not be dispersed all over the earth. And so they kind of go in two, two of those go together and the other two go together. So it's this idea of if we build a city, we won't be dispersed all over the place. We won't be nomadic people. If we have a city, we'll set up shop and that's it. And then the other one is if we build this tower that reaches the heavens, when people see that tower, they will remember us. And we see that now. 
when you go and you see the Lincoln Memorial, who do you think of? Abraham Lincoln. When you go and see the Washington, or when you go and see Mount Rushmore, you think of the four of them. There's monuments all over the place that when you see that, you remember that person. And that's what these people want. And so we're going to see two issues of pride that they're chasing after. One is the praise of man, and the other is the pride of security. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those in a second. But I just have a, a side note here when I look at this, and I think it's important to realize this when we look at Scripture. What this story also shows is it shows how quickly people can turn from God. And I think we miss it because we don't spend time actually studying the genealogies of the Old Testament. But if you study the genealogy, what you see is when they got off the boat, Noah died about 350 years after the flood. The Tower of Babel, by the way most scholars would kind of interpret and things like that, probably happened about 100 years after the flood. So what does that mean? Noah's still alive. His three sons are still alive. We don't know about the rest of the family, but we know he's still alive. And this isn't to say Noah was the one trying to organize them, building the tower and stuff like that. I actually don't think that. But what it shows is these are people that are not thousands of years removed from the flood. These are people that probably heard the story from someone who was on the boat. And they still turned away from God. We see this with Adam. We see Adam sins, and based on how all the ages work out, Adam did not die until Noah's dad was 56. You can do the math if you figure it all up. So he died before Noah was born, but he didn't die until Noah's dad was 56. Do you think the world got so terrible in those 40, 50 years before Noah was born that God decided to destroy everything? No, it was terrible before that. We actually see that because we see Enoch was holy, so God took him away. And the reason I say that is because it shows how quickly we as people, we as a generation can turn from God. These are people that got so bad that God said, I'm going to destroy everything. And they're people that could have heard stories from Adam, could have heard stories from Seth. Like Adam was still there to tell him how beautiful the Garden of Eden was, how he screwed up. We don't know what happened to Adam and Eve afterwards. And so I think that's important as we look at Scripture because when we look at it, we tend to look at people very judgmental. Like, how stupid were these people that they thought they could actually build a tower that was going to get to the heavens? How arrogant and prideful is that? What we have to realize is we're the same way. I might not be out here building a giant tower, but I have a lot of the same pride. And so that's why I want to look at it. We see a group of people that are saying, in my will, I will do this. And so the first pride that we see is the pride of searching for the praise of man. We see in Isaiah 14, verses 13 to 14, it's talking about Satan, and it's talking about Satan before he fell. It says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See the key word that gets used over and over and over in there? I. 
I will do this, I will do that, I will. The people, Tower of Babel, that's what they were searching for. I will be great, I will be wonderful, I will be amazing. And this is where I have to first get into my own personal heart here. I've struggled and still struggle and probably will always struggle with the praise of man. I was always the kid growing up that was good. I didn't hardly get in trouble. My wife thinks it's ridiculous that I can only ever remember getting spanked one time. I'm sure there was probably some other times, but I only ever remember one. I remember one time getting in trouble in school. All of these things. I loved being the kid. I was the kid that when someone else would tell their parents, hey, I'm going to hang with Ryan, parents would ask no other questions. Because they're like, oh, if Ryan's going to be there, it's fine. And I loved that. I loved being that. And I still love that. I still love it. You know, there's a heart issue I have in my own that when my mom introduces me, she's not here this morning, so I guess I can say this. When my mom introduces me to people, she usually says, this is my son, Ryan. He's the pastor. She doesn't introduce either one of my other siblings that way. There's this arrogance in my own heart that I love that, that I've always loved that. And C.S. Lewis says one way that you can determine if you have that pride is he says it works its way out in jealousy of others. And there's a, little, a few ways that that fleshes out. First one is you look at it and you say, I don't have to be the best just as long as I'm better than other people. I don't have to be the best dad in the world, but I just don't want to be one of those dads that my kids are in therapy later on in life because I screwed them up. I don't have to be the most liked pastor just as long as I'm not the least liked between the three of us, between me, Jason, and Sean. As long as you like me more than one or two of the others, I'm in the middle. That's okay. (laughs) One of the biggest things in my own life is I love being an associate pastor for a number of reasons. I think I'm great at the organizational side. I think I'm great at all the other side, all the other stuff. The other reason is because Sean and the elders get to take a lot of the heat that I don't have to. If you're really upset, most of the time you bypass the associate pastor to get to the lead pastor because he's like, well, this guy's going to make a change. Ryan's not going to do it. That's the kind of stuff that goes through my heart, that goes in what I'm going at. And you see these people in Babel And they're so focused on how they're going to be great. And so I find myself all the time thinking, why am I doing this? Because you can do and be an extremely moral person and do a lot of right things for the wrong motives. I had an example just a couple weeks ago in my own life where I had someone from Yoder's. I still work there just on Fridays to kind of keep relationships and stuff like that. And so there's one lady's like, hey, there's this customer that just needs someone to just go pray and see her. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. I didn't want to go. I'm not real great at small talk. If you've ever tried to have a lot of small talk with me, you might notice that. I'm not great at it. And so to go sit in the hospital, that's not my strength. That's Jason's strength. That's Sean's strength. That's not, it's hard for me. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And so I went and everything went well and I prayed with her and she was really happy that I was there. And as I was leaving, I was just really challenged. Okay, Ryan, why did you go? 
Did you go because you didn't really want to, but it was the right thing to do and all of that kind of stuff? Or did you go because you didn't want somebody mad at you? Or you didn't want someone to judge you for not going? This is why I said when you get a peek into my mind, you're going to see just it's exhausting sometimes how I'm constantly working through the pride of how does this look to other people? When we have worship and my kids come up and stand next to me and I'm standing there and I'm holding them and we're singing and I want everything in my body to say, this is great. Thank you, God. Thank you for everything you've given to me. But you know what pops in my mind a lot of times? Hey, this looks really good. Ryan looks like a great dad. And I do think I'm a good dad, so don't get me wrong. I will. That's confidence, not arrogance. But I do think I'm a good dad. But I find myself more and more that that's what I go through. So I want to be praised. You've probably, I don't know if any of you in here have ever been told no by me. That's because if I don't tell you no, you can't get mad at me. So I'll be in the middle of doing something and somebody will text me and say, can you do this? And I'll drop everything and do it. Because I don't want you to be mad at me. I don't want you to say something bad about me. So when I look at Scripture, I can look at the people in the Tower of Babel and I can judge them and say all of this kind of stuff that they're going through. But I'm really no different. I'm doing some of the same stuff. And I think it's interesting when we turn, when you look at verses 7 and 8, I'll kind of come back to that in a little bit too, but when you turn to look at verses 7 and 8, God says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Stop there for a second. I think this is where words chosen are extremely interesting. Here these people are. They're trying to build this tower to get to the heavens. And Moses says, God basically says, I'm going to go down there to confuse their speech. Earlier on in um, verse 5, it says, and the Lord came down to the city to see what they were doing. See, what the writer is saying is these people are so far from reaching God that God literally has to come down to them to see what they're doing. Now, I wholeheartedly believe God knows and sees everything. He knows everything that has happened in the past and everything that will happen in the future. So why would God have to come down to see what's going on? He wouldn't. He could see everything from heaven. He's trying to make a point here of these people think they're so great, so wonderful, think they're going to be able to accomplish this goal that God has to come down to them to see what's going on. And he says here, I'm going to go down and I'm going to disperse them because in verse 6, he says, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Is God saying that they would have actually been able to finish the tower? Seems like it, right? When you first read it, you're like, oh, okay. If God's saying, yeah, if they would have had the time and they would have stayed together, they could do whatever they wanted. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is if everybody 
speaks the same language and is one person, there is no form of evil that they will not figure out. I think that's interesting because a lot of times when you're trying to talk to somebody of a different language and if you're trying to share the gospel with them and we go on mission trips out of the country and you're trying to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't speak the same language and part of you sits there and says, man, this would be really easy if we spoke the same language. I actually think what scripture shows us is if we all still spoke the same language, we would be so much worse off. There'd still be Christians, there'd still be believers but the church would be persecuted and attacked and God would be challenged even more. Now, God's not afraid of that. But he dispersed everybody as an act of mercy, not as an act of judgment. Because you see, if he would have come down, if it was an act of judgment, he just would have destroyed them. But he basically used it as a wake-up call. You guys are going way too far off on the bad side. I'm just going to scatter you around. And part of it is now they're actually accomplishing what God had called them to do. You are actually doing what God has called you. So the second pride that we deal with, and maybe you don't struggle as much with the first one like I do. That's good. Second one is the pride of security. I'd love to tell you that I only struggle with the first one, that I've got the second one figured out. I don't. You see, it says they wanted to build the city. They didn't want to be dispersed all over. They wanted security in their life. If you've ever talked with me for any period of time, budgeting has probably come up in the discussion. I love to budget. Anytime you want to come, you can look at my computer and you'll see about 15 spreadsheets of stuff. I love doing it. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's good. I think that's God's how he's made my mind. That's how he's made me as a steward and, and things like that. But a lot of times what I see, I hate depending on people. I hate it. And I know we probably would all say that we don't like it, but some of us are a lot better asking for help than what others are. I can't, have, I can't tell you how many times that Sean has told me, don't do that, call somebody and they'll do it. We had to take down our playground out back and so I told Sean, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go out here this afternoon and I'll start working on taking it down and he goes, well, what are you doing? He goes, we have trustees, that's, what, that's the kind of stuff they take care of, call them. So I called them and the trustees had it down in about two hours, which would have taken me probably a good solid three days to get the thing taken down but it was this fear of, I don't like asking for help. I, d- I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I don't want you to think I can't do something. When there are an immense amount of things that I cannot do, I am not handy. It takes me a good couple of hours to YouTube a video on how to fix anything. A lot of anger, kids go in the other room, wife goes in the other room, eventually gets done, but it takes time. If I just ask for help, but I don't, These people are looking for a security and they want to find it on their own. They want to do it on their own. And I think we see a complete shift if you look at Genesis 12, 
Genesis 12, we see Abram in verses 1 to 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be, all, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See the key word that keeps getting said in there again? I. But the difference is the I is God. In Isaiah, the I is Satan. I will do this. I will do that. In Genesis, it's God talking to Abram. He says, Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless all people through you. And I think what happens when we have pride in our hearts and when we have arrogance and when we do all of these things, what ends up coming out is not allowing God to do something. It's, I will take care of it. God, you can be a part of my life, but when it really comes down to it, I'm only going to come to you when things are crumbling. Things have been good the last while. I haven't been dealing with a whole lot of stuff, so I'm not going to talk to you because I don't need you. I can go to work. I can do everything I need to. I can raise my kids. I... The people in Babylon wanted so badly to be remembered or sorry, the people at Babel wanted so badly to be remembered. They wanted so badly to make a name that they tried it on their own and they failed miserably. Abram was not searching to make a great name for himself. But God came in and said, if you follow me, I will make you great. And I think that's the difference. I think that's in my own life. I don't have to completely change my personality I know there's things that are so ingrained in me from how I was raised on up that it's just second nature, and that's okay. I'm not saying I have to start completely changing who I am or making different decisions or making wrong decisions just so I can say, oh, okay, great, now I can, I'm not doing it for the wrong reason. But what I have to do is I have to look at my life and I have to say, God, is this to make your name great? When someone hears the name Ryan Mayer, what do they think? I'd love for them to think, man, that's a great guy. But that's not enough. I want them to think that's someone who loves the Lord. God chose Abram to use him to make a great nation, not because of Abram and he's this wonderful person and all this other kind of stuff. He did it because he loved him and he chose him. So I can't speak for everybody. Like I said, I hope that as I was bringing out all these examples of my own life and all the things that come into my mind and all the pride and all the arrogance that, one, you can hold me to it. If you see it come out, just say, Ryan, that's, that sounded pretty arrogant. Sounded pretty prideful. My wife calls me out on it. She's really good at that. I'm very thankful. I love her to death. That's what we're called to do. And I think the beauty is we see in Revelation. In Revelation, it talks about in the end, 
every tribe, every tongue, every nation will bow to God. So because man screwed up, because man got arrogant, because man got prideful, because of all of this stuff, God said, okay, fine, I'll scatter you. And in the end, all of those voices and all of those nations are there to glorify God. So God used even our mistakes for his glory. That's amazing. And when we think of that, it's okay that I mess up. I don't have to be perfect. I've been a Christian for 20 years now, which makes me feel really old, even though I'm not. But I've been a Christian for 20 years. I still have so many areas where I fall short. But the hope is every day I'm trying to be more like God. I'm trying to be holier. And then God is there with his grace. So this morning, if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't deal with pride, I don't deal with arrogance, I maybe would question you on that, but I'm not going to ask you specifically. But if you are struggling, know we serve a God who helps with that. I've had a number of prayer times with God where I'm like, God, you just got to change my mind. You got to change my heart. And he will. He'll work on us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we again thank you so much that we realize we're not perfect, that we realize we're not any better than the people in the Old Testament that messed up, that we're not any better than those around us, but that you ultimately love us, that you ultimately care for us, that you would save us, that just like you had to come down to earth to see what the people were doing, that you also came down to die for us. So God, God, I pray that we would take that that I would be able to look at my life, that other people would be able to look at their own lives as well and our own hearts and start to ask, why do we do what we do? Are we really trying to glorify you, Lord? Or are we trying to earn the praise of man? Or are we trying to build security? God, I just pray that as we go through this week, that that'll be on our mind, that'll be on our hearts, Lord, and that you ultimately will be there to, hot, to guide and direct us. In your name, amen.